Welcome to our Rock City Church podcast. We are so excited to have you join us. Our desire is that you would listen with expectancy for what God wants to do in your life. We pray that you would encounter the mighty love of the Father and that you would be fired up for the more that He has for you. Is it beautiful weather in Denver? I haven't been home in like two weeks, so I don't know. <laughs> I haven't got to spend much time there. Hey guys, thank you for having me back and welcoming me. Um, took a lot of work to get here. Uh, had um, one of your congregants come meet me halfway from Houston last night at like 1.30, 2 a.m. in the morning to, to get me here. <laughs> we got here at like 3.30 in the morning with my four-year-old, so he's going to be a terror today. Uh, <laughs> hopefully that'll work out. Um, I am excited about this message and excited to be with you guys. Um, yes, I, for those of you who don't know, I, I moved back to Denver. I think last time I was here, I was in Frisco, North Dallas, and I just moved back to Denver, Colorado, uh, and have planted a church called Reclamation Church. And we are small, but we are mighty. And uh, I love getting to do that and be back in, in Colorado, which is the place I love. For some reason, though, I can't leave Texas. It's like I keep getting sucked back into this vortex. Because uh, I've probably, since, since the beginning of this year, been back once or twice a month to different cities in Texas. It's just like this gigantic magnet. It draws everybody back in. Um, and so I will be happy to leave again in this miserable heat that you guys experience on the regular. Uh, and where it's like, it's like you can't not shower when you walk outside. You're just constantly wet all day from the humidity. I'm just ready to get back in the dry, cool air. Um, so today we're going to talk about something a little bit different. I know that uh, I just heard reports this morning from Jeremy. I didn't, I didn't know this, but apparently several people were healed the last time I was in town, which was two years ago, of flat feet. Yeah. Is that right? How many, if, if you were healed, would you raise your hand? And Okay, awesome. That was quick. Uh, any others? Okay, we'll get to you later. Get to you later. Now, that's awesome. So you have flat feet and totally healed. Is that right? You were supposed to have surgery as an adult, and now you don't need it. Your doctor just said you had good archers. That's awesome. And praise God for that. Um, I, I, that's one of those healings I just keep seeing happen. Um, it, it's not the healing I ever wanted to see. I never desired to put my hands on a bunch of gross, dirty feet. No offense. Uh, uh, but I, I mean, how cool is that? That God does that. It's like. You literally, that's a, that's a miracle, a visible miracle. Like you can see where somebody didn't have arches and now they have them. Uh, and that's so cool because God gets the credit. It's just a continual reminder of what it's going to be like uh, in the age to come, which we, we sort of experienced little fruits and tastes of it, right? Uh, the healings that we see today, it's, it's just a fruit and a taste of what's coming. Like we're not quite at the banquet yet. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, more of me is getting more and more gray as time goes by. And I look forward to that day, though, when, when I will not be so gray in the beard and hair. I'm starting to get it on the sides as well, joining some of you others. Um, but anyway, I, I, I'm just very thankful for that. And I'm thankful that God is still doing those things and that I get to be a part of it. Um, I want to tackle a little bit of a different aspect of healing, which probably doesn't get talked about much in church. Uh, these days, and I'm not sure why, because it was a major part of Jesus' ministry, um, which is uh, casting out evil spirits. Now, how many of you have heard a Sunday morning message on casting out demons? <laughs> yeah, we're here. Okay, yeah. So in this really weird, abnormal church, you guys have heard uh, of casting out demons on a Sunday. Yeah. Uh, praise God. I don't know where I got that one from. I'm glad my wife's not here to be like shaking her head, you know. Um, she'll be here later tonight and she'll get to shake her head on Wednesday night, so you're welcome. Uh, so the reason why I want to talk about that is because um, you cannot pray for the sick with any kind of regularity and not run into these things. 
Uh, and so we, it's important that we talk about it. It's important that we, that we know what we're dealing with when it comes to praying for the sick. I would say in probably 30% of people that I've prayed for who, who are sick, 30% of them are probably demonized. Now, I don't know if that's actually the percentage. That's just sort of the number I'm guessing at. I think that was my experience so far. Um, but I've been praying for people for, for a lot of years now and, uh, and experience evil spirits with a somewhat regular um, occurrence. And so uh, for your sake, I think it's important that we know these things. What are they? How do they get there? Uh, how many of them are there out there? Uh, and when I say them, I'm talking about demons, Okay. So let's, let's just start off, and I'll, I'll tell you my, one of my, I'll start off with a story, I guess. Um, if you were here in the first service, you're welcome. I'm going to share some different stories. Uh, <laughs> I was in Denmark doing a conference on healing, and uh, in the middle of the meeting, I had the, these people praying for each other, and I really felt like I needed to go and talk with this lady. And I, as I started speaking with her, she screams out and says, I can see and I think, what do, you, what do you mean you can see? She goes, I, I go, could you not see before? She goes, no, I, I have to wear contacts. And I can see clearly right now. I'm like, wow, that, praise God. I didn't even pray for that. I'm just talking to you and suddenly things are happening. And so I, I'm walking away that night just thinking, what a miracle. How cool is that? She gets healed. Her eyesight gets healed. I mean, how many of you would like to just suddenly be able to see better than you could before? It's like, yeah, I can't. Uh, okay, well, don't get greedy now. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I've only got so much time. Um, so the next day, I'm, I'm at a church preaching, and, and this is again in, in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, and she's there, and she comes up to me afterwards, and she said, my eyesight problems have come back. And I think, oh, that's, that's a bummer. Now, normally, when a sickness leaves or an infirmity leaves and it comes back, usually that's a sign or an indicator that it might be, might be dealing with something demonic. And now I had heard from a pastor about this woman and that she had been uh, involved somewhat in the new age, uh, taking classes on clairvoyancy and things like that. So I said, um, tell me about some of your spiritual experiences. And she gets immediately excited at this conversation. She goes, well, ever since I was a kid, I could see dead people. Like, oh, okay. That, that we're going there. All right. And, you know, immediately in the, in the back of my head, I'm thinking of the movie The Sixth Sense. I see dead people. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're one of those. Uh, and you can see me right now. Am I dead? Um, <laughs> I just gave away that movie, didn't I? Yeah. If you haven't seen it, come on now. It's like 20 years later. Anyway, um, I, she says, I can see dead people. And I think, okay, uh, tell me more about that. And she goes, yeah, well, you know, I've been helping people contact their dead relatives so they can get, you know, reconciliation and, and things that, you know, didn't get to say, they didn't get to say before they passed, they get to say and, and communicate. And she's like, it's been really, like, fun for me. I think, oh, okay, well, I think I know why your eyesight problems have come back. And she goes, really? And I said, yeah. And I was like, you've also get some, some pain right here in the back of your head, like migraines that start back there. And she's like, yeah, how did you know that? I said, well, the Lord has shown me this about you. And I think he's showing me also why you're, why you're having the eyesight problems. She goes, why? I said, well, um, you may not like this, but uh, there's an evil spirit that's afflicting you. And um, it's actually because of what you're doing, this contacting people's dead relatives. Um, that's actually something that's forbidden in the Bible. And she goes, what? No, wh wh where, where is this forbidden in the Bible? I'm like, oh, it's right here. And I show her Deuteronomy 18, you know, one who, who conjures up the dead. It's the word necromancy. Um, and the interesting thing about it is it doesn't call it a fictitious practice or some sort of make-believe thing. It actually, we're told not to do it and not to consort with those who do. Um, and then I was like, and also here in Leviticus 19 and again here in Leviticus 20. And I was like, it's a number of times where it's actually mentioned that you're not supposed to do this. And she goes, well, why would God forbid this? It's helping so many people. I said, I don't know. I don't know why he forbids it. I just know that he forbids it. And, I, and, I, and there's an evil spirit that's trying to afflict your life because of what you're doing. And she goes, well, how do I know it's an evil spirit? I said, would you like to know if it's an evil spirit? She goes, yes. I said, okay. In the name of Jesus, I command you to come forth. When I said those words, she started screaming at the top of her lungs. 
And uh, I said, stop it. Just simple little commands. I didn't scream at it, which by the way, the volume of your voice does not determine power. The enemy is not intimidated by how loud you can yell at it, okay? Uh, just a simple command is all that's needed. Remember, we're the ones with the power. So um, I said, stop it now in Jesus' name. And she just starts crying. And she says she could feel something clawing at her stomach and screaming in her head. And, and I said, well, if you'd like, I can get rid of that thing for you. Um, I'll do it for free. Uh, I, I didn't... <laughs> didn't actually think to charge her. <laughs> uh, I said, but you, you actually have to stop what you're doing. You have to repent from that practice because God has forbidden this practice. And she says, and they always say this, do I have to? <laughs> yes, woman, you have to. <laughs> woman, you will not be loosed unless you have to. Uh, she, she says, I said, yes, you have to. I said, here's the thing. If I command that thing to go and you keep doing what you're doing, it'll just come back. And actually, the scriptures are pretty clear on this, that it'll come back and it will gather other spirits more evil than itself, which means there's degrees of evil when it comes to evil spirits. Right? They're, not, they're not all the same. Uh, I said, if you keep doing this, it'll come back. It, it'll try to take your life. That's the end game. And, and she says... Will you be back tomorrow? I go, yeah, I'll be back tomorrow. She goes, do you think you'll come back to Den Denmark next year? I go, yes, I'll, I'll probably come back. I come back pretty often, you know, once a year, twice a year. It's one of my favorite places to minister, and I got a lot of opportunities there. And she goes, okay, I think I need to wait. I said, okay. I said, I really wouldn't recommend this. She goes, yeah, but I, I'm just not ready yet. All right. And so I had to leave this woman with her evil necromancy spirit. Um, I find out later that the reason why was because this is how she was making her living. Yeah. She was helping people contact their dead relatives as a career. Um, and you, you'd be surprised at how many people actually don't want freedom. There's, there's a lot of that that's out there. And it's because of stuff like this, because that's... Uh, when you've lived with an evil spirit for so long, it's the most comfortable thing you, you have. It feels normal and it feels right to you. Um, and I, I mention this again because this spirit was the reason why she was experiencing migraines and why she was experiencing blindness. Um, and again, as you pray for people, this will be a little bit more common. The more you pray for people, the more of these thing, kind of things you'll encounter. And if an evil spirit comes up, if you happen to encounter one and it makes itself known, the reason why that happens is because there's power to set that person free. That's the, the beautiful thing about God's power is it forces evil to the surface so that it can be dealt with. We want God's presence to show up and we want those things to be made known so that people can get free from them. Um, now, before I dive into how this stuff afflicts people, we need to deal with some misconceptions on these things. There are two great errors that people often make when they're talking about spiritual warfare and evil spirits. Okay, now imagine you're, you're walking down a road and there's a ditch on either side of the road. Okay, now you don't want to walk in the ditch, right? You want to be on the straight and narrow. Now, one side of the ditch is what we most commonly fall into, uh, this error which is common here in the Western world where we're highly influenced by, by French enlightenment and rationalistic ways of thinking, uh, over-intellectualizing everything and explaining everything remotely spiritual away, and, and that is to deny that the enemy even exists. There's a great movie, uh, or at least I loved this movie when I was younger, uh, called The Usual Suspects. You ever seen that one? Oh, yeah. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And that's, that's one side of the, 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 the road that we can fall into and, and ignore those things and just not deal with it. Another error, which those of us in the charismatic world often fall into, is thinking, is overinflating the power of the enemy. Thinking there's a devil behind every door. Well, the devil made me do it. No, I don't think so. That's just bad behavior. Uh, <laughs> Right? Or, or, you know, like last night, my flight got canceled. I had to stay up till 3.30 in the morning. Ah, oh, it was the devil. He ruined my flight. He canceled my flight somehow. Right? We can over-spiritualize things. 
And that, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Come on, I'm not alone. Can I get an amen? No, no, we don't want to amen that, actually. That's a bad thing. We don't want to over-spiritualize. That's the other ditch. All right? Now, now remember, what is, what is one of the names of the enemy? He's called Beelzebub. Do you know what that means? Lord of the flies. How big are his minions? That's it, right? They're not that big. Uh, matter of fact, in the scriptures, you won't find uh, this in there. Okay, now, who, who do you think the opposite of Satan is? Now, if you're thinking Jesus or God, you're wrong. He's not even close. Right. Not even on the same playing field. The opposite of Satan is not God. It's maybe something like Michael the archangel. And last I checked, even then, Satan loses. Right? God is so much greater than the enemy. The enemy holds nothing on God. Matter of fact, from what I understand, according to the scriptures, is that the enemy has been, been dethroned. Right? So the strong man has been bound. Jesus did that on the cross and through the resurrection. He bound the enemy. And now we're plundering the enemy's house. That's what we're told in the scriptures. Um, matter of fact, in, in Ephesians, we're told that, we, that we're seated in heavenly places. Now, this is not some weird spiritual reality. I think like, people like to, like to over-spiritualize that scripture and think, oh, I'm like sort of metaphysically in two places at once, right? No, that's not what that means. It's talking about a realm of authority. When you're seated in heavenly places, it then describes what it means above every rule, above every principality, above every authority, and every ruler of this earth. Okay, so it's talking about a place of authority. What does a king do on his throne? He executes his judgments, right? We're sort of seated with Christ. That's the place we are uh, given authority over, where we've been authorized to deal with demonic spirits. You know, in the, in the garden, we're told that, um, that the enemy would bruise uh, a descendant of Adam. It would bruise his heel. But that descendant of Adam would crush the serpent's skull. Yeah. Now, Jesus dies. He resurrects, right? He gave the enemy his death blow. He overcame death itself. All right, that was the last straw that the enemy had dealt, right? Like the last thing he had that had to go. Uh, and then and it, he ascends to heaven, takes his place on a throne, and then we're told that we're seated with him on that throne above every rule, every power, every authority. Yeah. And then Paul will say this in Romans 16, now may God of heaven soon crush Satan under your feet. Yeah. This is Paul speaking to a church. Mm-hmm. Now who does God want to crush Satan? Who, do, who does he want to use to do that? All of us in this room. Right? Paul wrote that to an entire church called the Roman church. And that letter has been extended to us, right? That, that letter is also for us, not just the Romans. So God's desire is to crush the, the enemy under our feet. We're to tread on serpents and scorpions alike. That's what we do as believers. Um, so those two ditches, we don't want to pretend like he's not there. We also don't want to be afraid of him and pretend like he's everywhere and overinflate who he is. Right? At the end of the day, we're the ones with the power. Yes. Um, another misconception about the enemy um, is how we talk about it. Now, what's the word most often used in scripture to talk about a person afflicted by an evil spirit? Pos- possession. Did I hear that? Okay, now, now when you think of possession, what movie immediately comes to mind? Yeah, everybody's exorcist all over it. Now, do you really want to learn your demonology from Hollywood? Probably not a good idea, right? Um, and, and at the end of the day, who wins in that movie? Now, I'm not recommending you go see this, but for those of us who've seen it, uh, who ends up winning in that movie? Yeah, the enemy. At the very end of it, he's back, right? Putting on a big show. But he wins in that movie. That is not an accurate portrayal of possession. Matter of fact, even the very word possession, we probably need to strike out of our vocabulary because that's not actually an accurate portrait of what we read about in the Bible. Okay, so I'm going to give you a different word for it. Now, the Greek word for uh, possession is actually the word demonizai. 
And it's a, it's a, uh, a way of, of taking a noun and turning it into a verb. We do this all the time in the English language, right? For instance, if, uh, if you want to turn the, the noun terror into a verb, how, what would you do to it? Terrorize, right? You add I-Z-E to the end of it. Same thing is true. You take the word demon, a noun, and you want to turn it into a verb, and you add demonize. That's probably the best term we can use today when it comes to talking about these things. So today, I'm teaching about demonization. I'm not teaching about possession. That's not an accurate portrayal. Demonize. Demonizai is the word. It's the same thing done in Greek. We do this also with another word. Think about like theology. How would you turn that into a verb? Theologize, right? Most of you are like, get that word out of my mouth. Uh, That's essentially what's going on. It's better to think about it sort of on a sliding scale of zero to 10, okay? Now, in that spectrum uh, is is where people often find themselves. So let's say zero, what would level zero demonization be? Yeah, the Lord, right? The devil has nothing in me. And then you've got level 10 over here, right? What would that be? What's a good example in scripture of that? Yeah, legion, right? The gathering demoniac, the one who's you know, chained up and he has supernatural strength and, uh, and that the demon is speaking through the man's voice and, and using him as a, as a meat puppet. Um, you know, this demons, this de- these demons have demons of their own. Like critters have critters. And so that, that is sort of the range we're working with, but most people fall somewhere within that spectrum. Like for those of us who have like a temptation that comes in that's easily deniable, like, well, that's probably like level one, level two. Maybe it's an insecurity. Maybe you, you felt like, oh, that person doesn't like me. And then you're like, well, that's a dumb thought. And you just sort of dismiss it. That'd be really low on the scale of demonization. And then there's higher levels like people who practice witchcraft or worship idols and other gods probably a little bit higher on the scale of being demonized, right? They're, they're subject to that evil deity. Um, I mention this because it, it sort of helps us to characterize what people are dealing with. And it also removes this uh, shame that's attached with having an evil spirit around. Right? There is no shame attached to that. Come on. It, it, it's like having a disease. Do you, yeah. do you shame somebody for being sick? Mm-hmm. No. Um, and I'll just let you know this. I was demonized for most of my life. Uh, I, I dealt with the spirit of rejection and abandonment from age four until I was in my 30s um, because of my dad abandoning me and my family when I was four years old. So parents divorced when I was a year old. A dad didn't pay child support, married another woman when I was four who had six kids and raised those kids as his own. You might, have, might as well have branded me with a word on my forehead of, of uh, rejection, and that's how I brought that into every relationship, that spirit of rejection. I would, I would fall into two areas. I, I would either smother the person who I was uh, pursuing till they just couldn't stand to be with me any longer, or I would reject the person because if they liked me, there must be something wrong with them. It's a, it's a recipe to stay single the rest of your life, right? It doesn't work, does it? That's what living with a spirit of rejection does most of your life. Um, and, and here's the other thing. It's not just the, the sins we commit uh, that, that get us demonized. Sometimes it's the sins committed against us. And so here I was abandoned by my father, sin committed against me, and yet I lived with a spirit of rejection. Uh, also, when I was around 10 years old, I had been molested by a babysitter, a male. And so the, the sexual abuse that I suffered, and, and I'm, I speak about these things very vocally because many people uh, are, are too afraid to talk about that. And the problem is, is if you can't talk about it, it owns you. Things fester in darkness. So because of that molestation, I had another evil spirit of sexual perversion that stayed with me until I was in my 20s. And both of those things wreaked havoc havoc in my life. And so I had to deal with these things. And again, there is no shame, 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 it's a sham to be ashamed. Um, There is no shame in talking about these things publicly and openly, we actually need to be able to do this in the church. We're told in, in 1 John to walk in the light as he is in the light. And walking in the light doesn't mean walking free from sin. Okay, that's a misnomer. Walking in the light means walking with sin exposed. You're not defined by your sin. In Proverbs, it says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. So it's not what we fall into that defines us, it's the getting back up. 
and overcoming that defines us. Yes. So we as believers, we walk in the light. So that way, darkness has no power over us. We live with our sin exposed, not hiding our sins from one another. Um, now, I'm not saying go and confess your sins to every single person out there. That's not a good thing. <laughs> there are safe people to bring your sins into the light with. And all of us should have at least two or three friends that know everything about us. Now, I know many people will say, oh, well, my best friend is my spouse. Usually when someone says that, they usually mean that's their only friend. Okay? No offense. I know some of you are going, well, I said that last week. Uh, not coming to beat you up. All right, promise. Uh, no, we all need friends that we can tell our secrets to. And, and the fact is that my wife is never going to be able to affirm me in my masculinity like another man may. Uh, and same thing is true for her. There are certain things I cannot affirm her in because I have no idea what it's like to be a woman. For that, I asked Jeremy. And uh, I'm just messing with you. I, I, I got to play that one. That was so... As soon as it came out, I was like, I got to clean that one up. Uh, <laughs> you cut it out. You got to get him out of here. Uh, bad joke, especially in today's gender-confused society. Uh, you can be whatever you want to be. You know? uh, all right, let me get back to the point on this one. I've digressed and I've completely lost you guys. Uh, the fact is we all need a few friends that know everything. That's the only way to create a, sh a shame-free environment. Shame is a result of the fall. All right? It was after they, they ate from the tree that they realized they were naked and they were ashamed. It was never meant to be part of the human experience. Yeah. And so we, as believers, we want to overcome any semblance of shame and create a, a community that's absolutely shame-free and free of any kind of darkness. Because again, if you live shame-free, you've got everything exposed. It's all in the light, and there is no darkness there. So um, I'm going into a lot of unnecessary details. So another misconception is, the, and this is a big question, is can a Christian be possessed? Well, again, the word possession is not a good word, is it? No, we want to use the word demonized. Demonizai. We want to take the word demon and talk about how it affects a person. And we want to think about it on that sliding scale, zero to 10. So can a Christian be demonized? Well, John Wimber used to say a Christian can have anything he wants. Um, you've also got some scriptural references to this. In, in Luke chapter 13, we see a woman we're told that she is bound by Satan. She has a spirit of infirmity. And she, because of it, it's caused her, this evil spirit has caused her to be bent over double. And now Jesus, you know what he calls the woman? He calls her a daughter of Abraham. Is that a term used for a believer or unbeliever? No, it's for sure used of believers. Matter of fact, Paul, when he writes the letter to the Galatians, he'll address them as children of Abraham. Isn't that cool? He's talking to the church. This, is not a, this woman was bound up by Satan for 18 years, and yet she is a believer in Yahweh, the same God we worship. Uh, we also see in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a man who's a believer, and he's in the church, and we're told that he's committing an act of sin that is so grievous, even the pagans don't do this. And, and the, the sin was he was, he was uh, having, I'm going to kid appropriate here, having relations with his dead father's wife. And so Paul is asking the Corinthians, he's saying, why have you allowed this person to remain? He goes, I, though not with you at present, I've, but with you in spirit, I've handed this person over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, but that his soul may be saved. Now, help me out here. He's a believer. He's in the church. And he's saying, I've handed this one over to Satan. Does that sound like a good thing? Probably going to be demonized on some level, right? Uh, it's actually the term used when a person is excommunicated from the church. You see, to not be in a local community, in the body, in the life of the, of the church, is to be in the domain of darkness. It's to be handed over to Satan. There is no such thing as online church. Hear me on this? On. I, I know that this is sort of a, a, a misnomer. We, we think that, oh, well, we are the body of Christ. Yes, we are. You're not in it if you're not in a local body. To not be in the body of Christ is to be in the domain of darkness. There is no in-between. 
That's just, the, the early church would have never had this as a conception of, well, I just do church in Starbucks. No, no, church takes place around the, the table of communion. That was the place where you gathered. And they didn't just do it once a week. They did it every day. Um, now, for them, it's a bit different because that's also how the poor were fed is they would show up to have communion. They would show up to the Lord's table. Um, but, but today, we, we don't have that necessity as far as like being nourished. Most of us have food and can fill our bellies at home. Um, but you do see this, this idea that, that to, to be outside of the church is to be under Satan's domain. It, it's to be handed over to Satan. Uh, we're told that Hymenaeus and Alexander were handed over to Satan so they'd be taught not to blasphemy. Um, so this is what, what, what they used. And as a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, it's highly likely that when, that when Paul is talking about this man who needs to be welcomed back into the brotherhood, he's probably talking about the same person that he had just excommunicated in 1 Corinthians. In other words, this man had, had repented and Paul is saying, hey, welcome him back in. Don't let him be overcome by shame in his grief because of his sin. Um, so when somebody repents from their sin, remember the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. So you're not excommunicated for sin you're repentant of. You're excommunicated for not repenting of sin. Okay? So, and if you are repentant from it, then you're supposed to be welcomed back in. That's sort of the, the, the way that Paul talks about these things. So can a Christian be demonized? As far as I know, yes, they can. And, and my experience has shown me, yes, they can. And my personal experience was, yes, I was. I became, became a believer when I was 15, but I was not set free from those evil spirits. The, the one from this, the molestation, I wasn't set free from until I was about 21. And then the spirit of rejection and abandonment, I didn't really get free from until I was around 30, 31 years old. So is it helpful to know that a person that was in ministry, uh, I was regularly seeing miraculous healings like flat feet getting healed, deaf ears opening up, and yet I was still demonized? Yeah. I, I can tell you more about that. And I don't know if I'll get time to today, but let's talk about, uh, I don't have time. Let, let me just talk about uh, how these things get entrance into our lives. If you want to talk about where they come from, evil spirits and Satan and all of that, uh, you can probably go check out our podcast, The Remnant Radio. We've done some information on this. Look up the one we did with Michael Heiser. That's a really interesting episode. Um, so anyway, uh, let's talk about where these things come from. How do they get a foothold in our life? Uh, so first one, and I'm going to give you a list of these things and a bunch of scripture to go with it. So just plan on having your Bibles open the whole time, and we're going to play a little roulette here. Uh, not roulette. We're not going to just open it up and see where it lands. I'm going to tell you where to go, but good luck in finding it fast enough. So, uh, and this list is by no means comprehensive. So one of them is anger and unforgiveness. This is probably the sin that is the most common and acceptable sin in the church today. Believe it or not, it is a sin and it is an open door for the enemy. And I can prove it to you. Ephesians chapter four, verses 26 through 27. So Paul will say this, be angry yet do not sin. So question for you, is anger in and of itself a sin? No, no, it's just a human emotion, right? Be angry. In other words, it's okay. It's normal to be angry. The question is not having anger. It's, the question is what you do with your anger, right? So be angry, yet do not sin. Now do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, what happens when you don't deal with your anger? It's an open door for the enemy to get a foothold in your life. What is a foothold? A foothold is this. Think about uh, World War II. American troops are trying to invade Western Europe. Right? They've just entered into the war. They called it D-Day, the day when, when America invaded Normandy, France. At this point, uh, France had already been overtaken by the Nazis and now we are coming to France's aid and Western Europe's aid in pushing back the German Nazis. Now, what they hoped to do was to get a foothold in Western Europe. A foothold is a place where you could set up shop, you could set up a base, and that, from that base, you could then conduct further warfare, right? Because continuing to try to invade land is very, very difficult. You needed to get land so that that way you can do more damage. Now, do you really want to give the enemy a place of land in your soul, a place from which he can conduct further warfare? Because I'll tell you what, undealt with anger and unforgiveness will do exactly that. 
Here's another uh, verse of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Uh, this is Paul saying this. He says, for this end I wrote so that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, what's the thing he wants them to be obedient in? But the one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I've forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of one of his schemes. What is one of the schemes of the devil? To keep you in a place of unforgiveness, failing to forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Most common sin in the church, I, I promise it is. Um, in Matthew at chapter 18, you can read a parable about two debtors. One debtor owed a king a debt that he could never repay in several lifetimes, right? The debt was just gigantic. And so the king is coming to him to collect his debt. And the, the debtor, the guy who's in a debt that he could not pay off in several li lifetimes, get down on a, gets down on his knees and begs the king for forgiveness, saying, please forgive me of this debt. I will try to pay back everything. And the king forgives him literally releases him from a debt. Now, can you imagine being in servitude, several lifetimes of servitude to pay off a debt? Guess what? All of us owe that kind of debt. The debt we owe the Lord is a debt we can never pay off in several lifetimes. That is all of us. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are capable of paying off Christ. It takes an infinite being to pay off the debt we owe. And that's exactly what he's provided. And he's forgiven us our debts. Now, this guy who owed that debt of several lifetimes then goes to somebody who owes him a couple weeks worth of wages and begins to beat him to get his money back. The king finds out about it, takes this man, throws him in prison and says, I forgave you a debt that you couldn't pay off in several lifetimes, yet you, won't, you wouldn't forgive this man who owed you a paltry few pennies? For this reason, you will stay in prison and you will be tortured by the torturers until you pay back every last cent. Let me ask you a question. Do you actually think you'll be able to pay off your debt when you're being tortured constantly? And who are the torturers that would torture you? You see, you don't have to wait to die to be tortured. All you have to do is give the enemy a foothold in your heart by failing to forgive your brother. And you will find yourself in torture. Um, 12.15, right? I'm good. I'm good. 1.15? Oh, I'm reading 11. Sorry, 1.15. I'm, I'm an hour behind on my clock. It's still Denver time. Uh, yeah, yeah. 1.15. Gotcha. Sorry, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to keep you guys too late for lunch. Um, and I've seen this happen with a person. I had a lady come to me who was uh, uh, needing um, healing. She's got rheumatoid arthritis. She comes in on a walker. She cannot lift her arms. She's so crippled and riddled with arthritis. And so she's asking for prayer for healing. And I'm, I'm saying, okay, cool. Let me, you know, kind of find out what's going on and what the cause of this is. And so I'm, I'm conducting a basic interview. Where does it hurt? What do you need prayer for? And then I'm trying to figure out what the diagnosis is. Where did this thing get root in your life? Where did the root, like, is there a spiritual root to this rheumatoid arthritis? And so I'm asking her questions. She has no idea. So I asked the Lord, which is great that we have a helper that can always tell us what we actually need to know. And I said, Lord, what, what's the cause of this? And, and then something just sort of pops into my head. And it's this uh, sense that she's got a grudge against her sister. I said, do you have uh, a sister? She goes, yes. I go, Did, have you been holding a grudge against her? Um, and she goes, yes. I go, well... I think the Lord is showing me that the reason why you have this arthritis is because you're being tortured by an enemy because you failed to forgive your sister from your heart. Do you think you'd be willing to, to forgive her? She goes, yeah. So I walk her through a prayer of repentance. Now, prayer of forgiveness isn't, I forgive so-and-so. It's actually asking God for forgiveness for holding a grudge against your sister. And when I said that to her, she, I mean, I walked her through this prayer. She says, God, would you forgive me for being angry towards my sister? Now, that seems ironic because her sister is the one who offended her, right? Her sister is the one who owes the debt. But we're supposed to forgive our brothers and sisters from our hearts because of the debt that we've been forgiven of. And so the only solution for her is to ask God for forgiveness. So she prays that. And then I walk her through a prayer of, of, of forgiving her sister, which sometimes this is not like a once and done type thing. 
Sometimes you need to, you know, rinse or lather, rinse, repeat on this one several times over. Um, some of us, like, you know, when, when, they're still, when you think of that person, it still conjures up all this anger and all this hurt. Probably need to keep walking through that. Uh, and I know this, this is a process. This is not always a once and done because I, I was betrayed by a brother a little over two and a half years ago. And, and it's taken me probably two years to feel love and affection for that person in my heart. Um, it's not always easy to forgive somebody who's hurt us, especially if they've hurt us repeatedly over and over through the years. So anyways, I walk her through this prayer of forgiveness and then pray for her to be healed. I said, why don't you get up and, and check it out? And so she stands up. Again, she's got, she's got her walker. She's standing up, using it to steady herself. She sets it down and she goes like this. I, I couldn't do that before. I go, really? She goes, no, I, I couldn't walk backwards without falling over. And then she goes, takes a bigger step this time and just starts crying and then praising God and the arms that she couldn't lift up were lifted up as she started giving thanks to Jesus for healing her of the rheumatoid arthritis. I have her testimony on video uh, if any of you would like to see it. How did this thing get into her life? Anger and unforgiveness. Another inroad for these things, uh, something not often talked about, especially in our culture today, is lust, sexual immorality, and perversion. Now, remember I said it's not just the sins we commit that can get us demonized. Sometimes it's the sins committed against us, okay? So if you're a victim of uh, somebody else's lust, sexual immorality, or perversion, uh, you may need prayer. Now here, let me just say this. Just because I'm listing off these things is not a guarantee that you'll have an evil spirit, Okay, remember, we don't want to overinflate the power of the enemy. All right, I'll give you a no demon back guarantee. But I don't know, that doesn't make sense. Um, so in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, we already mentioned that guy, right? He was uh, having relations with his dead father's wife. He gets handed over to Satan. There's another verse out of uh, Proverbs, chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. It says, now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. How many fathers we got in the room? Okay, how many of you know that you want your kids to hear what you have to say? Right, so this is, this is just the same way of saying, hey, listen to what I'm telling you. Pay attention. I feel like I have to do that with my four-year-old all the time. Look me in the eye. <laughs> do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go to the, near the door of her house. Well, who is her? He's talking about the prostitute saying, don't go near the door to her house or you will give your strength to others and your years to the cruel one. Now, does the cruel one sound like someone pleasant? Does it sound like the spirit? No, not, not a good one. Now, lust, sexual, immorality, sexual, sexual immorality, and perversion. Another inroad for this is hatred and violence. We don't talk about this one often, uh, especially with people who come back from war hatred and violence. Uh, I'm not saying that, that, that the war wasn't justified and that you didn't do right in the war, but I am telling you that sometimes acts of violence can lead uh, to demonization. Again, not a guarantee, but this is an open door for it. Uh, you see in Luke chapter 9, verses 54 through 56, when his disciples James and John saw this, now this is crazy to me. These are the apostles, right? James and John, what was the nickname for them? Here's why. When James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Is that not the weirdest question ever? Like, what? Now, who's them? He's talking about the Samaritans. Jews don't like Samaritans. Okay, well, Jesus turned to them. It's like, what? And he goes, he rebuked them and said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are of. What kind of spirit were they of? The son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Well, let's think, Samaritans, Jews, okay? They don't like them because basically they're half-breed Jews. They intermarried with people outside of Israel. They didn't worship on the same mountain. They didn't, they didn't have the same religion. This is a spirit of racism and a spirit of murder. All right, and this is the apostles. 
If they're not above being demonized, then none of us are. All right, he said, literally, spirit of racism, if you think somebody is beneath you, another race is beneath you, that is demonic. All right, John 8, 44. He's, this is Jesus speaking of the Pharisees. You are of your father, the devil, for you want to the, do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. He is a liar and he is the father of lies. What were the Pharisees trying to do? They were trying to murder the Lord. A murderous spirit. They're demonized. They're under his way of thinking. Another uh, inroad, envy, jealousy, selfish ambition. Now, this is probably one of the more permissible sins is this idea of selfish ambition. Uh, now, when you, when you read this section of scripture, you're gonna see two things compared with one another. This is in James chapter three, verses 13 through 18. Now, this comparison is gonna be called wisdom. There's gonna be two types. There's wisdom that comes from God and wisdom that comes from any, and the enemy. Isn't it weird that James would call it a wisdom that comes from the enemy? In other words, it's a way that seems right. All right, let's read it. Who among you is wise and understanding? Well, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be prideful and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above. It is earthly, natural, and demonic. He calls it a type of wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Now that, that phrase, every evil thing, should hearken the reader back to Genesis 6, where it says the thoughts and intentions of mankind were towards evil continually. What did he do in Genesis 6 when the thoughts and intentions of mankind were evil continually? He flooded the earth. In other words, you had human population so demonized that there was nothing left to do but then flood the earth. Okay, but, this, but the wisdom, okay, here's the comparison. We know what earthly, natural, demonic wisdom is, right? Selfish ambition. Notice he doesn't just say ambition in general. He says selfish ambition. In other words, this is not ambition given towards God and making his kingdom great and glorifying his name. This is ambition geared towards yourself and puffing yourself up and making yourself great. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Now that's awesome. See how those two wisdoms compare? Think about wisdom that's uh, full of bitter jealousy. Ever, ever experienced jealousy? Am I the only one? Okay, come on now. Let's get honest here. Walk in the light. Bitter, bitter jealousy. <laughs> Best thing you can do with bitter jealousy is confess it to the person you're jealous with. That's hard. That's hard. That's truth. Don't tell me the truth, Pastor. You want to be free from that bitter jealousy? That's the best way to get rid of it. The people, and here's what you'll find. You'll find that some of the best friends that you'll ever make in life were those you were once jealous with. The moment you confess it to them and you say, I, I've just got to tell you something. I've been so jealous of you. I've been bitter in my jealousy. I, I want what you have so badly that it's caused me to be angry with you. Uh, would you please forgive me for that? Would you pray for me? You'll find that that person that you're bitter and jealous towards will go, brother, I've been jealous towards you. I've wanted what you've had. The next thing you know, there's a friendship that comes up. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm serious about this. Some of my best friends to this day are guys that I've been jealous with. Uh, how many of you watch the Remnant Radio, the podcast that I'm a part of? There's another guy on there named Michael Roundtree, right? You know who Michael Roundtree is? He's one of my best friends to this day. And I've been so jealous with him in the past. But because of that, because of confessing it to him, now I can actually celebrate his victories. I actually take great pleasure when he succeeds in something. It gives me joy. Now think about that. It's the very opposite of bitter jealousy. Two different kinds of wisdom, right? One's gentle, peaceful, uh, full of good fruits, full of mercy, unwavering without hypocrisy. One leads you to do every evil thing. And you meet a person who's selfishly ambition or has selfish ambition in their heart. 
There's nothing they won't do. That's an evil place. Um, we see this in the life of Samuel, right? So first, sorry, not life of Samuel. You see this in the life of Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, you see this situation play out with Saul where he uh, becomes bitter and jealous towards David. It says, this saying displeased him. Well, what were they saying? Well, for Saul, he said he became angry. Again, notice the first, where it starts. Is anger, is anger a sin? It's undealt with anger, right? Then Saul became angry for this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David. They've given him credit and praised him for 10,000s. In other words, he's so victorious in battle, he's destroyed 10,000 of his enemies. But to me, they've only ascribed 1,000. Isn't that crazy? So now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Think about where it started. Anger that was undealt with creates a foothold. What's the next step? Jealousy, paranoia. He was suspicious. See how it starts to percolate in there in darkness where it can, it can fester and grow and become something else? Next thing you know, he sees David playing the harp and he looks over there and sees his spear. It says an evil spirit came mightily upon Saul and he took that spear and he hurled it at David thinking he could pin David to the wall and kill him. You see, nobody who commits murder starts off as a murderer. It's not like they wake up today and go, ah, today I think I'm going to be a murderer. Right? Nobody in prison who's committed murder started that day thinking that. You see, what happened is it started somewhere with a whole series of sins that they decided to ignore until it eventually festered and became something far more outrageous like rage, hatred, and murder. Um, David was, uh, Saul was demonized because of it. Didn't deal with his anger properly. Another inroad for the demonic is occult practices. We've already talked about this. Remember I told you the story who, of the lady in, in Denmark who was practicing necromancy? Uh, and you see this, again, I mentioned both of these verses earlier. Uh, Leviticus 19, verse 31 says, do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them out or be defiled by them. And then verse, uh, chapter 20, verse six, as for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from amongst his people. How many psychics do you know have a lot of friends? How many of those who are in a, a committing major grievous occult practices have a lot of friends? They're cut off from the social world. There's a reason for that because they're demonized. Those demons don't play well with others. Deuteronomy 18, verses uh, 9 through 13. It says, when you enter the land which the Lord your God will give you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through fire. That's a weird one. Don't even understand that, really. Uh, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens. Now, let me, let me back up a second. Divination is using a, an item or a device to get divine information. Magic eight ball, Ouija board, tarot cards, that's divination. Um, one who practices witchcraft. Witchcraft is an attempt to use an incantation or a spell to control others. Okay? We use this today in the church with shame. Shame-based motivation. I'm going to guilt trip you. That's witchcraft. It's a way to control other people using emotion. Any form of control is not of God. Okay, again, I wholeheartedly believe God is in control. I just don't believe he's controlling. Uh, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who casts a spell or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead, necromancy. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out from before you. Who's driven out from God? Those who practice these evil practices. We see this uh, more and more, is it, being com is it common today? The number of times I've sat in a church and preached this very message and had people beginning to feel angry with me, just seething and angry. Some of you are like, yeah, you keep talking. It's going, getting late. I'm hungry. I'm very angry with you. No, it's not that kind of anger. Not, not hanger. Or hung is that right? Hangry? Hangry, yeah. Uh, this is a different kind of anger. I remember I was preaching in Delaware 
And I had, uh, at the end of the service, two ladies come up to me, uh, both of them saying to me, I don't know why, but while you were teaching, I just felt so much anger and hatred towards you. I'm so sorry. I feel so embarrassed about this. Um, but, but I just, I don't know why. I'm just so angry with you. And one of them, in fact, actually got up and left in the middle of me preaching and went to the bathroom. And while she was in the bathroom, she heard the Lord say, this is why you are here. She was about to leave the church. And she came back in because she just knew that she needed to talk to me. So I start talking to them, find out one of them used to have uh, tarot card readings with her neighbor's mom. The other one played with a Ouija board when she was a kid. Both of them needed to be delivered from an evil spirit because of it. I walked them through a prayer of repentance. So this is sort of how we deal with demonic spirits that come in through these things. We walk them through a prayer of repentance saying, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. I will never do that again. And if it's a sin committed against you, you say, Lord, uh, would you forgive that person for what they've done to me? And would you release me from anything evil that's come in because of it? So forgive me for what I've done. I will never do this again. Remember, repentance means turning away from a behavior or a way of thinking. That second part is crucial here, a way of thinking. Sometimes it's a fearful way of thinking. If you're full of anxiety, fear, there's a way of thinking that you've given yourself into over and over and over again. You need to repent from that way of thinking. So repentance means I was doing this or I was thinking this. Now... I'm going to think something else and do something else. So repenting from fear of anxiety for me, fear of abandonment, rejection, means no longer thinking that I'm not worthy of love and embracing a thought pattern of, Jesus, thank you that you love me just the way I am. Thank you that you'll never leave me, you'll never forsake me. Thank you that I have no need of the love of another because you have given me all the love I need and I can love myself because you love me. And now, when you're free to love yourself, you can actually receive the love of somebody else without needing it. And that's a difference. Thinking you need it versus just enjoying it. Um, so I walked them through the prayer of repentance. One, both of them, you know, start manifesting a little bit as this thing leaves, dry heaving, and, and, and that's common. Sometimes when evil spirits leave, they'll leave violently, loud shrieks. Sometimes they'll leave very improperly and causing a person to pass gas or burp or uh, puke. I know this is weird, but these things happen. Um, these are defiling things. It makes sense that they leave like this, right? They're not good. Um, there's some stories I'm not going to share, but if you ever want to hear some crazy ones, I got some <laughs> funny ones for you. Anyway, um, I find out that one of the girls, uh, not only was she delivered from that evil spirit, but she had a problem with her sleep. And it wasn't insomnia, although that, that is common with demonization. Uh, she would have fits of night eating, sleep eating. She would try to go on diets and she was overweight and she would try to go on diets to lose weight. And uh, every night she'd wake up, after the, in the morning she'd wake up and she'd see the remnants of food all over her kitchen table that she had eaten in the night, have no recollection of any of it. Heard of people who sleepwalk? Okay, this is sleep eating. Well, after that, she stopped sleep eating lost weight, went on a diet, was able to actually successfully hold, keep the weight off without getting up in the middle of the night to eat. Isn't that wild? Yeah, um, I had another lady who came up to me because she had night terrors. I'm starting to run out of time. I'm going to finish this off real quickly. Uh, she had night terrors. And I asked, started asking the interview, like, okay, how long have you had this problem? When did it start? And the reason I'm trying to ask these questions is I'm trying to figure out what allows this thing to be there. And she says, I don't know, as long as I can remember. So I pray and I said, Lord, why is she having these night terrors? Oh, by the way, the night terrors were every night. She had three, she's married, three kids, three girls, wake up in the middle of the night screaming, blood curdling screams, waking up the whole family, just terrorizing everybody in the, the house. That's how bad it was. So I, I'm saying, Lord, when did this start for her? And I see a picture of her in my mind uh, of her playing with a Ouija board with some of her girlfriends. So I look at her, I said, when you were about 12 years old, did you and some girlfriends play with a Ouija board? And she looks at me and she goes, huh, I didn't know. And she starts crying. I didn't know, I, I didn't know. I said, of course you didn't know. I said, you'll find a Ouija board in a game section at a Target. Yes. And it's got an advertisement with like a picture on the front of it with kids playing with it. Yeah. You see, the enemy doesn't play fairly, does he? No. 
His goal is actually to get into us while we're young. Before we can actually deal with it, know what we're dealing with. So it can live with us and get sort of entwined in our personality where we don't know where we begin and where it begins. That's its, that's its goal, right? And so, of course, evil practices are advertised to kids who don't know any better. So um, I walked her through a prayer of repentance, uh, commanded that thing to leave. Two years later, I run into her. She's been free ever since. Isn't that amazing? Another inroad is idolatry. Now, let me, let me just say here, there's, there's idols that we know of formally, right? You're worshiping the Buddha, you're worshiping a Hindu god. Those are obviously evil. I was in Denmark again, praying with a lady who said she had shadows that would follow her. I said, huh, okay, Lord, why is this there? Immediately see, I, pic- I see a picture of her with these four Norse gods sitting on the mantle above a fireplace. I said, um, I think I know what's, what these shadows are that follow you. I said, I see four pictures, or a picture of these four uh, uh, statues above your fireplace and they're gods that you worship. And she goes, yes. And I said, well, if you want to be free from this, you have to stop worshiping those gods and you need to destroy those idols. And guess what she asked me? Do I have to? I said, yes, you have to. She goes, they're going to be very angry with me. I said, I understand that. So I walked it through a prayer of repentance. And when, you, when, when you're dealing with idolatry, you have to renounce that idol. Say, uh, Lord, forgive me for worshiping these things. I, I renounce my allegiance. And she names them off one by one. And then, and Lord, I, I, I commit myself to worship you alone. And then I prayed for her and I commanded those things to leave. And when I commanded those things to leave, it was like someone punched her in the gut. She goes, oh, just bowls, bowls over, starts crying. She goes, I'm so scared. I said, well, let's ask the Lord how he's going to take care of you. So she prays. She said, Lord, what am I going to do? And she falls into a trance, literally falls into a trance. She's just gone. And, and she comes out of it minutes later. She says, um, tells me that she sees a mountain, huge mountain. And there, there the Lord was, and he was standing in front of the mountain, but he was as big as the mountain itself. And she said, the Lord is going to protect me. I said, that's right. The next day she came up to me because I I was like, you need to destroy those idols or throw them in the trash. And she comes up to me, she goes, is it okay if I just give them to my neighbor? No, no, you cannot give them to your neighbor. I'm serious. Lots of verses for this, okay? 1 Corinthians 10, 20. No, but I say to you, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers with demons. And let me just say this. An idol is not only a statue. An idol is anything you, you think you cannot live without. Remember I said about the need of love versus the enjoyment of it? You don't need it, but you can enjoy it. If you find yourself needing it, then you've made that person into an idol and they have become your God. And that is an open door to the demonic. Again, I say this because this is what afflicted me. That rejection, spirit of rejection and abandonment caused me to idolize the woman I would date to where they couldn't handle it. They were so smothered because they're not meant to be my God. Nobody is. You cannot handle the pressure of trying to be a God for somebody else. Okay? Anything you think you cannot live without. So just think about this. If you can fill in this blank with, these, with, with anything, and here's the statement, fill in the blank. I will not be happy unless I have or unless I become or unless I do. I will not be happy unless. If you can fill in the blank with anything, then that thing is probably an idol and you need to repent from that. Renounce your allegiance to it. Give your allegiance back to God. You will find yourself free quickly. Um, Another one that I don't have a scriptural reference for, but I think it's true, is drug abuse and and, uh, alcohol addiction. Again, it's not the use of those things. And again, none of these things will guarantee that you'll have a demon, um, but they are open doors for it. I don't have a great scriptural reference for drugs, but I've seen a lot of people demonized because of it. And it makes sense, right? You're giving yourself over to a substance and that substance is now ruling you. So alcohol, nothing wrong with drinking alcohol, okay? It's when you've given yourself over to the influence of alcohol to where it's, you're not in control of it, it's in control of you. You've given over your, your, your inhibitions to it. So, um, man, that's a lot. I know there's probably, let me give you a couple of little ground rules. Never pray for people alone. Always cast out demons in, in pairs. The volume of your voice does not determine power. 
Okay, you don't have to shout at things to make them go. Uh, set appointments with people to pray for them. Don't stay up all night with them. Okay, it's not going to make a difference. You're not your best when you're, when you're deadly tired. Okay, um, also, uh, I'm forgetting something else that was really important. Never hold somebody down. Okay, simply all you need to do is make this statement. Sit down. Do not harm this person. Do not harm anybody else. Now, you are the one with the power, not it. So you tell it what to do. You don't have to hold the person down or display the similar kind of aggression that that demon displays. Cool? I'm giving you a whole lot. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you want to partner with us in what God is doing here at Rock City, you can give by visiting our website at rockcitycorpus.com slash give.